Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And these are Paul's final words to this original audience, um, specifically about their lives there. And he encourages them to talk to God and to talk to people about God. So let's pray before we begin. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we just thank you for your heart, for your church, and your people. And as we come together this morning, I would just pray that you would continue to make yourself known in real and powerful ways in our lives and in places where we do not want to know you. But I would just pray that you would continue to make your scripture live and breathe and alive in each one of us. And I would just pray through the power of the Holy Spirit, this would be compelling to us this morning as it has been through the history of your church. In your name we pray, amen. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a gifted communicator. He was a preacher with skills and abilities, and, and a variety of different people would come around Great Britain just to hear him preach during the 20th century. The story is told that one time Martin Lloyd-Jones was a, with a group of other men, and they were just having a conversation, and then he walked away from that group, and all the different men started to compliment him in different ways about his skills, his abilities, and his gifts. But what they failed to realize that actually in the room, even though Martin Lloyd-Jones was no longer present in their circle, in the room his wife was listening to these men talk about her husband. And she walked up, and I assume into her, to their great surprise, wanted to lean in on this conversation, and this is what she had to say as she quietly remarked, no one will understand my husband until they realize he is first of all a man of prayer and then an evangelist. So you're talking about his skills and his abilities and his gifts. But you need to know first, he's a man of prayer and he is also an evangelist. And again, that's what this passage is about this morning, talking to God and talking to people about God. And just a little bit about myself, um, I'm not very natural at that. That does that not um, come as my second nature yet. And even some of you are like, okay, you mentioned that you're a campus minister or assuming you're a vocational minister, all those different things. But th this was not like standing right here now, this was not my mental picture for my life. Have you ever had a mental picture of what you thought your life one day would look like? Um, th this was my plan. So I majored in history with a minor in English because I wanted to be a teacher. And I was like, okay, I'll teach during a school year, I'll be an educator, I'll coach soccer, and then I'll have a lawn care business. 
And that's, that's what I'm going to do. And that seems great. And I also planned uh, to get married, but not until I was 30. I, I had these specific kind of my mental picture for my life with specific dates in mind. And that was the plan. And then spiritually speaking, and a lot of this deals with college, come from middle class, working middle class background. And I found myself in college exhausted from trying to be a good boy. I was tired of doing it. I'd been leaning on my own power, doing all these different things, because I never felt safe and secure with God unless it was up to me. And then God finds me in a fraternity house, in a Bible study, and changed my life through Scripture and His Word. And now you can still be a teacher, you can still be a variety of different things and be a Christian. But he had a different plan for my life, and I'm happy for it. Because I will tell you, at this spot, I am married. I got married when I was actually 26 and not 30 like I had hoped. And I found myself setting up the crib that we had taken down. So we have a three-and-a-half-year-old Mary Margaret. We moved Mary Margaret and Jack, our two-year-old, into the same room. We thought he was ready for a big boy bed because we're having our third child, really, in a couple of weeks. So we put two kids in this room, and I find myself putting back the baby bed up because Jack could not be contained in his big boy bed. So, a little bit about myself and our family, but I wonder with, with prayer, and as we think about evangelism, it's not natural or second nature to you. I wonder if you sometimes find that, that you're frustrated with your prayer life, as sometimes, as one college student told me, he said, I'm just kind of praying in my room and nothing seems to happen. It seems kind of pointless, or another, that I'm on some raft in the middle of the ocean, I have this flare gun, and I'm shooting it up to God with all these different prayers, but I don't hear a plane. Is he up there, and does he know? I wonder if it feels overly mystic. I wonder if you wake up in your morning, there's too many things about your day that crowd in, that it's hard to pray. And I wonder, as we think about talking to other people about God and the nature of that relationship, it's like, do I want to go out on this limb? Do I want them to know that I'm serious about my dependence on this God? I think I'd rather be quiet. And I feel like we all feel and know that tension. Let's, let's begin, because I hope that we will end today compelled and encouraged to think about those more, about praying, and specifically praying with thanksgiving and expectation, and then also showing and dialoguing about God to others. So the two points, pray, praying with thanksgiving and expectation, and showing and dialoguing about God to others. Let's begin in verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Keep doing it and be devoted to it. It's, it's Paul's hoping that it's a part of their lifestyle, just as waking up and eating and sleeping. And he says, when you pray, as it's a part of your lifestyle, pray for this, pray for Thanksgiving. I don't know how many of y'all watched the Super Bowl, but after Peyton Manning had just won the Super Bowl during his interview, 
He said this, I'm definitely going to say a prayer and thank the man upstairs for this great opportunity. I'm just so very grateful. Did you catch that? I'm going to say a little prayer and thank the man upstairs for this great opportunity. And Paul, I'm just going to mention some of these verses. Chapter 1, verse 3, 11, and verse 12. Chapter 2, verse 6, and 7. Chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. And then this chapter as well is all about thanksgiving. And I would just encourage you, if you can, to read it this afternoon. Instead of reading that now, with thanksgiving, it's about these different things. Who am I? Where do I belong? And what do I do? Have you ever had those questions? Who am I? Identity. Where do I belong? Who are my people? Who are my friends? And what do I do with my life? And he describes in this little book, you have a new identity, you have a new purpose, and you have a new people. So who am I? Now he's, he's going after this original audience and us as well to know you have a new identity. Now they can say about themselves because of what God has done for them. I'm a child of God. And maybe you've heard that before. But that hits home because what that means is that we're safe and secure with God because of Christ. I'm a child of God. I'm safe and secure with God because of Christ. Now what do I do? So new identity, I'm a child of God. You're loved, you're placed, and you're called to live out your dependence on him among people in a place. Life of dependence among people and in a place. And then, where do I belong? He's been emphasizing in this new relationship that now they belong to the people of God, or what we're even doing this morning. Now you belong to the church. I remind my students a lot of times I'll have girls or guys say that I've been praying and I realize that I should be single. Like, okay, let's talk about that more because you are single. You know, so, so let's, let's talk. And typically, the conversation plays out this way, and I'm, I'm using this example because it hits really close to home. I feel like I should just work on my relationship with God. It should just be me and God, me and Jesus. But typically, they, they talk about going off radar with everybody else, and it's a, it is at the expense of people. I'm going to work on my relationship with God. It's going to be at the expense of everybody else. And I tell them, that's not Scripture, and that's not the church. There's no such thing as an isolated, independent Christian going off radar to be by themselves, to work on their relationship with God. So now they're in this community, in this family. And that brings us to, so pray with thanksgiving, this new identity, this new relationship, this new purpose, and then pray with expectation that God would work in our circumstances. Did you catch that? Verse 3, at the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. I am fascinated by the prayers of Paul. 
Because if you look at his life, I think he could pray for family or friends or health or healing or a new call or a new job or a variety of different things. But his prayers are that God would actually use him in his current circumstances. That his circumstances wouldn't change. That he doesn't pray to God that, God, you got it wrong with this one. Do you see the people I'm looking at? But he says, no, that I would be used in my circumstances, and he's currently in prison. And we have the written word of his letters. But then he writes that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. And I can only picture that he is literally talking through a jail cell and say, go tell them this. It's going to be simple and it's going to be clear and it's about this risen Christ that God would work in his circumstances and he expects that he will. And then he tells this congregation, would you pray for that? This new relationship with this living God that you've experienced, would you pray that God would open doors into different people's lives, different areas, locally and regionally, so they would know him too? We want to declare the mystery of Christ. Pray for that. So Thanksgiving, expectation, and circumstances. And I don't know how many of y'all read The Help or have seen the movie. If you've seen it or if you've read it, you need to know this, that Abilene Clark is the prayer warrior. And maybe you've experienced a person like this. If, if they say they're going to pray, pray for you, you actually believe that they are. And you're like, okay, well, you can pray for this. I'm actually going to give you a list of 20 because I want you to pray for me. Abilene Clark is the prayer warrior, and, and she believes in the power of prayer. And I was look, listening to one of um, Eric Youngblood's sermon, who's at Rock Creek up the mountain. And he used this illustration. He said this, that Abilene Clark reminds those in the help that prayer is like electricity. It keeps things going. Prayer is like electricity. It keeps things going. And I wonder if we prayed with thanksgiving and expectation, if that would keep us going in a way that we actually need and want and desire and hope, that it would be life-giving, that thanking God for Christ would remind me, would remind me and remind us of who I am and where I belong and what my purpose truly is. And that we would, we would anticipate and expect God to show up in our current circumstances, even today. And that brings us to our second point, that showing and dialoguing about God to others Jason Isbell, I'm not even sure, I should have 
re-listened to an interview with him to make sure I was getting his last name right. I don't know if I am. I think it's Isbel, Isbel. Um, he's a singer-songwriter, storyteller about the working class, specifically in the South. And he just has a level of honesty that has made me cry at a red light before. Now I'm going to read um, as he describes this couple. So it's a hotel bar. And he describes watching a couple and what their relationship might be like. And he describes it in this way. And the couple in the corner of the bar have traveled light and they have traveled far. She's got nothing left to learn about his heart as they are sitting there 1,000 miles apart. So they're sitting there and apparently they're not talking. And he wonders with each of them, mainly with her, is there nothing left to learn about his heart as they are sitting there 1,000 miles apart? And he's describing the sense of nonverbal communication, of our body language, of our gesture, of our eye contact with others, all these different signals um, that we have and that we make with each other. He's writing about that this nonverbal communication, and how it relates to the passage. In verse 5, Paul writes, Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. So walk in wisdom, he has written earlier, walk in him, meaning Jesus. But walk in wisdom, and that's ethical behavior. So what you believe impacts how you are. What you believe impacts how you are. That's walking, ethical behavior. What you depend on that shapes how you behave. What you depend on shapes how you behave. And he's describing a lifestyle, and he's describing habits, and he's describing how are you showing to others what you depend on and what you believe in nonverbal communication. Because the outsider... In our circles, we would say that's just an acquaintance. That's somebody you kind of know, but sometimes you drop their name. That's the coworker that that you have interactions as you're pouring your coffee, but you don't know that person that well. An acquaintance might be the person who cuts your hair. The acquaintance might be the one who serves you coffee. The acquaintance might be a neighbor on your street that you used to talk to and now you just wave. Okay, that's the outsider he is describing walk in wisdom toward the outsider because they're actually watching you. And part of the outsider is we don't know what, what that person believes. They're watching you with this nonverbal communication. And there's something so compelling about who God has made you to be and living for him that the day comes when they want to talk to you about it. Verse 6. They've been watching. They want to find out what's going on with you. And he writes this, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So time... He mentions time, making the best use of the time, and that just means time has a point and a purpose. There's a point and there's a purpose to time. 
you're having an interaction with them, those points of contact matter and are important, and then you're having a conversation, and he writes that, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. I'm relying heavily on what other people have written about this passage. But gracious and seasoned with salt, everybody seemed to agree that that must mean dialogue. It's not just, my, so not just telling somebody how it is. It's dialogue. It's a conversation. It's treating someone else like a complicated and complex human being. It's being aware of culture and class and gender and race and politics. It's an ongoing conversation. He's describing that, that what would one day be an outsider or acquaintance, it sounds like me something happens when they become your friend. There's some mystery in that interpersonal relationship And he's saying that you're not sure what they believe, but you get to the point where you find out about their beliefs and you tell them what you believe as well. And that's what's going on. And the point about the answers, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. These would be people, we would say, these Gentile Christians seem late to the table when we think about Christianity. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. Some days I feel I was very late to the table when it comes to Christianity, of growing up in Northeast Mississippi and being in the South, but we didn't go to church on Sunday. Feeling like you're late to the table, but what he describes in this letter and in these final verses for application is that you know everything you need to know now about this God You know everything you need to know now about Jesus. This was a place like, I enjoy McKay's. The McKay's in this place, they go to the Christianity section if they can find it because they've been asking every worker and nobody knows where it is either. They go to Christianity. This is all they have. This letter. There's all these empty shelves and they just have this and word of mouth communication. feel like I would be afraid to tell other people about Jesus if I lived during this time. He says, you, you know everything you need to know now about him. It's so simple and so real and so sweet. And some closing thoughts. So how does that song end by Jason? He wrote this, so he's watching a couple at the bar interacting, and what you don't realize is that he's actually sitting with his significant other. They're on a date, and he's watching somebody else on a date. And then he writes and sings, I will say whatever words I need to say because I don't ever want to be a thousand miles apart. That's what's playing out in this passage. To our neighbors, to our family, to our friends, in our churches, among people in a real place, that God would use us, even with our words and the power of the Holy Spirit, 
so that we wouldn't be 1,000 miles apart from him and from each other. And I think I realize, and um, to me, the hardest thing about preaching and kind of these scenarios is doing application. But here's a couple of application points. I kind of know Dan. We've had coffee a couple of times. I don't know y'all. Okay, I recognize that. Forgive me if I step on your toes and I'm wrong. So some final thoughts with application. (laughs) So if we think about this idea of the thousand miles apart, let's do the negative and then the positive. Have you ever felt that way? And think about with God and think about with other people. The holidays, I always have this just certain level of joy and sadness when my family is circled around a table. Because sometimes even the most familiar people to me and those familiar relationships, within one sentence that somebody says, I can feel a thousand miles apart. With one look from a father, or a mother, or a brother, or a grandparent, or a sister, or a child, I can feel a thousand miles apart. I feel isolated and disconnected from them. And at times, I can feel it with God as well. Isolated and disconnected. And when my students talk about holding up a flare gun and they're pulling the trigger, nothing's happening. Or they talk about praying in their rooms and it's still, it's too mystical for them. Is he there? Is he alive? Is he real? Does he care? That's being a thousand miles apart. And here's the point of the sermon. That God actively, willingly initiated a relationship we just celebrated, God with us, actively, willingly initiated a relationship so that we would never experience that kind of isolation and disconnection. With him and with each other. I wouldn't give up heaven for anything, and Jesus did happily. He was willing to initiate and to have a relationship. And he's, Paul has been making the argument that God has showed up for you in his son. He showed up. And not only that, he is alive and he lives in you. They felt late to the table. They may have never heard of prayer with thanksgiving and expectation in their circumstances. And his final words for application, this is what he writes. Prayer with thanksgiving and expectation, and that you would show God to others and to the point where you can dialogue with others about God and how you depend on him. Um, For those, Jason Isbell writes a song, some people are talking about you. And they're not talking about your personality, they're not talking about how you look, They're not talking about birth order. They're not talking about what you do. But they're talking, and for those of you, some of you need to be encouraged that they would say, 
They're a person of prayer. They have a relationship with a personal God, and they anticipate and expect, expect things in their circumstances. And they live out their faith, and everybody knows it. For some of you, you may feel defeated. That either nothing is happening, so it seems pointless, or you feel guilty because you're exhausted, and it's another sermon about prayer. Got me. I wish I practiced it more. Thanks. Happy New Year. You know, so, so we have that going on as well of, of the guilt or just feeling defeated. And I'm telling you that every time we look up towards the God of the universe, and it's all about us and our striving, and we don't see Jesus in the middle of that relationship, it's always going to be all about us and never about him. And I wonder if we need, like Paul, to return to the place where Scripture is just clear, simple, and real. And it may mean just studying your Bible with somebody else or having a conversation over coffee. And then lastly, those of you who are unsure, because in this passage, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And as you've already heard, I said, you know everything that you need to know now. And some of you who are unsure, you're like, John Mark, if we sat over coffee and I told you about my life and I told you about my experience, you wouldn't have any answers for besides, can you please pass the sugar? What do I do with that? What do I do with intellectual struggles? What do I do with evil and suffering? What do I do with the sadness that I feel when I open the newspaper in the morning? What do I do with that? I'm just unsure, and I keep coming, but I don't have any answers yet. I would encourage you, maybe even within this community, you have experienced the ethos of love among people in a place that are taking their faith seriously. I would encourage you to come back. That's no small thing. And I'd also say, what if this is true? And what if it's real? And what if this was what you were meant for? And that you want to believe that Jesus is alive and Jesus could one day live in you. I would encourage you that the Holy Spirit might be working in your life now to continue to come back and to process that even further. Let me close in prayer. Father, again, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for time together. We thank you that you are still alive and you still live through your church and through individuals in that church. And I would just pray again that you would make your word known and real in our own lives, um, Father, that we would not leave here today with guilt and discouragement, that we would be in